You know what? I feel like I should actually like broadcast this disclaimer before we get into the entirety of the content, which yeah. is going to be quite mean to the new European. So the, the problem, the problem with their standpoint is not that their standpoint is Brexit is bad because it is like demonstrably bad, but it's that they just exercise like willful blindness to what like the socioeconomic forces behind it are and like what needs to be done about solving those problems. Yeah, like, exactly. Nope, right. The voters no, but, are dum dums. No, but it's, it's, the it's, it's, it's they, they think it's a blip. They think. Trump was a blip. They think Brexit was a blip. Corbyn getting 40% in a general election. Well, it must be, he's conned lots of young people. They don't, they don't understand. They don't want to admit that the system, the entire structure, there's no structural factors. They don't want to, they don't want to admit to them. Mate, it's a fucking blip. There have been all these blips. Okay. Of course there are more blips. It was a huge blip. It was a tremendous blip. I spoke to the president of France just the other day. He said it was one of the biggest blips he's ever seen. Okay. You'll, you'll speak to people in the fake news media. They're going to say it's a small blip. Okay. Those guys, they've never even owned a blip. Okay. They're not successful in the blip business like I am. Um, so just to give you an idea, um, the, the New European on the 30th of September, 2016, uh, won the serial rights to the fifth volume of Alistair Campbell's diaries about the Blair government, which it serialized. What a <laughs> like What an <laughs> fucking win that was! Oh, just, Jesus. just, just someone, just someone, just having a boner about targets. He looked at Tolstoy and was like, "Oh, this is a bit short-winded." <laughs> <laughs> which it serialized over three weeks, and subsequently, in March 2017, the newspaper announced it appointed Campbell as an editor at large. It's like we used Wait. to serialize Dickens. Now we serialize this shit. What the fuck? Is, so now is, we serialize dicks. Is that is, is, <laughs> presumably that's 05 to 07? Then that's the last. That's the last mm. batch. And yeah. uh, uh, so, like, basically, what? <laughs> How when Blair lost seats to Michael Howard because he invaded Iraq illegally? Excellent. Look forward Michael to reading. Howard. <laughs> Let's yeah. see what he was thinking then. But the, that's that's the overall outlook of this paper is basically a worship of the time, yeah, the brief period of time when the West was imagining itself as apolitical. I when won't we, invade Iraq. It's a cosplay. Just don't ask what's going on in so, my basement. <laughs> Welcome back once again after that cool cold open expose of the private life of Milo Edwards, including his home address if Nate forgets to bleep it. I won't. I won't. <laughs> I'll defend you, Milo. I'll wear a cape. Um, my name is Riley. You may remember me from every previous episode of this podcast and all of my posting. Uh, I am joined today, as usual, by Milo Edwards. Yeah, it's me, your boy, Milo Edwards, at Milo underscore Edwards on Twitter. I'm really, really hung over today, but I'm still a pussy magnet, so it's all good. <laughs> Billy business magnet, Elon Musk. Hey, baby, you see my cat scratcher? 44 pounds. <laughs> you disgust me. Nate I, Bethay. I'm, I'm, I'm Nate Bethay, uh, at In These Deserts on Twitter, uh, the producer, sometimes co-host of this show. Um, recent... Well, I don't know if you say immigrant or emigrant to Britain, but I really—I was, look, I was looking up a thing on uh, online to try to get a bank account, which is a fucking nightmare in this country. 
And Lloyd's Bank says, we'll do it all for you in our expat service if you were making at least 100,000 pounds a year, which I'm not. So I'm definitely not an expat. So subscribe to the Patreon. Whatever I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Subscribe to the Patreon so I can finally get a bank account. So I'm not living in between just like handouts from Milo and, uh, and free food that's cooked for us when we come hey, here. Hey, hey Nate, oh, yeah. why don't they make the whole bank account out of the black box? Yeah, but Nate, if you... <laughs> You're white, so according to the Daily Mail, you'd be an economic migrant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, until pe- people people look at me and they're like, "Well, he he might be Polish, so I want to hate him." But yeah. <laughs> make him talk first. We shouldn't we shouldn't have let Nate in because he has a smartphone. So. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and, it wasn't in actual distress. And 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 every everyone's everyone's favorite um, uh, representative of the Caliphate, uh, Hussein, is still off doing jizya. Uh, I think by the time this is released, he'll have been back for an episode. But at the time of recording, he's just on his way back from his from his from his pilgrimage. He's wandering to, in the from desert. From to Canada. To, to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we also have a returning champion, friend of the show, Matt Zarb Cousin. How are you doing, man? How are you doing? Very good, thanks. Yeah. Um, there were rumors that uh, me and Hussein were, in fact, the same person, as no one has seen <laughs> us ever in the same room. Uh, but anyway, great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never seen you guys in the same place at the same time. And because I have the same level of object permanence as Donald Trump, that's enough evidence for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. I mean, you saw this. If you, if you, there was that Woodward article where like, if you just take a piece of paper out from in front of him, he forgets that it exists. Like mm. every game of peekaboo with Donald Trump is very high stakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you taking away some kind of boring farm bill or are you taking away a piece of paper that oh, says no. nuke literally every adversary? <laughs> oh, no. like, he like, wakes up and he's wearing a sleeping mask and he's like, Oh my God, the White House has been destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, that documentary White House Down was telling the truth. <laughs> or Olympus Has Fallen. <laughs> or Olympus Has Fallen. Two great movies, two great tastes, two different ways. Gerard Butler, you always are the star of my heart. That was weird. All right. <laughs> well, you guys don't like bad, you guys don't like paired bad movies? No, I just I try to avoid Nightmare White House gets taken over by Koreans? Wait, that's, are you that's like one of the, them, isn't the it? sommelier of bad movies? You're like pairing bad movies together. Oh, no, this is a real phenomenon that uh, quite frequently, just because of sort of studio skullduggery, um, one will come up with a concept and then mm-hmm. maybe a writer or producer will quit, get hired by another studio, continue making more or less the same movie at another studio. And so quite frequently, there will be two almost identical movies released more or less at the same time. A Bug's Life in Ants, Deep Impact in Armageddon, White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen, it keeps happening. Anything by Mel Gibson and the Triumph of the Will. (laughs) (laughs) Mel Gibson was a disgruntled Lenny Riefenstahl intern. (laughs) Damn, the truth comes out. I'm going to steal your whole idea. (laughs) Lenny Riefenstahl had the original idea for what women want. (laughs) All the women were thinking was just about how much they hate the Jews. (laughs) Well, we were actually talking about this the other day when we, when we were out filming that like every Mel Gibson movie, when he's involved in a project, you have to identify like, what is the marginalized group that he wants to like bad mouth in this film? Because he wouldn't get involved in that mo- in a movie unless there was some already marginalized group that he wants to like make fun of and make you hate more. Like every Mel That'll Gibson movie angle. has some subtext to it that implies that like, you know, that some group that is already mistreated is actually bad and you should hate them more. What about signs? <laughs> Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> so extremely History Channel voice. <laughs> aliens. <laughs> the ancient aliens who built the pyramids are the problem for Mel Gibson. You think those pyramids could have been built by Americans, damn it. 
He's looking. He looks at he looks at um fucking Independence Day, and he's like immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but hey, guys, we're like a serious and respected socialist podcast. Let's stop with the fucking silliness. No, we're, right? we're not. We're not socialists. We're we're center left. We we take all ideas. Oh yeah, of course. No, we're we we think everything is process. And the problem with politics is it's just gotten too damn political. If we just let bad <laughs> ideas expose themselves as bad, yeah, we've got to realize they're bad. To debate yeah. his ideas and expose them for they are. The best, <laughs> the best way to defeat the ideology of the still very relevant Steve Bannon is to make sure that everyone has a constant view screen just piping Steve Bannon into their house 24 hours a day so they'll see how bad his ideas are. Mm, Obviously. Bannon. Fucking <laughs> hell, Milo. I swear to God, I vacillate between pissing myself laughing and wanting to replace you with a fish. That's where I am, baby. And you know what? When you take the average of those two, you have Oscar-winning films, The Shape of Water. I'm like the I'm like the un, the unsuitable husband who's like bad for your mental health in your 1950s house, but like you you, you just want to fuck me so much that you can't you can't divorce me. Yep, that's exactly what it is. I, uh, that's that's how I that's how I would define our working relationship. You it. That's so good. Um. Also, hey, here's what's exciting. Look, podcasting's all about having a 40-hour work year, right? Well, for you, the person who's cutting up your audio is having, let's say, a 80-hour work year. Wait, no, we work, we work more hours a year. <laughs> like we, work, we work at least 100 hours a year. Yeah, we work 100 hours a year. Um, but the uh, look, as you can probably tell by the title, today's episode is really all about um, everyone's favorite paper of record, uh, the New European. <laughs> Which said- actually sounds like the new "you are a peen." If you just just keep saying it in your head, yeah, you just keep saying it, and that's to be honest. Let's be honest, everybody. I mean, you expected that because that's almost certainly the title. <laughs> I was going to say, like, if there if there's a if there's a pee joke to be made, we're gonna make it. Oh, yeah. you're going <laughs> to be making that. How that's going to be? Let's say what, when please. it comes to making pee jokes, we are number one. Please wait for the January edition of the Trash Future newsletter. No, you're not a peen. <laughs> <laughs> But first, I wanted to broach a, a quick subject with you guys. Did you see that many of the trade unions in Britain, the TUC, have come out with this proposal that within the next century, we could have a four-day week? So basically, when we're all dead, <laughs> it might be a four-day week. Hell yeah. When humanity ceases to exist. Our grave diggers are going to have such a leisurely schedule. I mean, you could say that. I mean, that's what I was really disappointed about. In a hundred years' time, we might have a four-day week. Well, mm. in a hundred years' time, we'd be flying around in cars. It could be half of the world could be underwater. We could be living in the Antarctic because it's the only habitable place to live. Normal. Uh, so I just, I, I think we could do it now. We could do it now. Yeah, we could li- well, mm. We could do it now. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I have a, a, a weak spot for Peaky Blinders, which is set less than a hundred years ago. And it's like, that's a world that completely does not exist anymore. And it's like, that's how far away it is. It's like, if that's the improvement you want to make on that timeline, it's like, well, when, then where's the space elevator? Yeah. And where's the holodeck from Star Trek where we're going to have weird what? sex me all fuck, the time? Let me fuck a hologram. Let me fuck in space <laughs> with a hologram and nobody can fight it. It somehow cleans itself. I don't know. Here's, here's the thing. Here's why I know that the four-day work week can be around now is that all of my friends who are like, you know, hoity-toity white-collar professionals that I met at my fancy university where I definitely wasted my degree by just being a poster. Um, they all work from home on Fridays, and there's this tacit agreement that mm-hmm. none of them really do anything. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, having, having worked in a, in a corporate job in New York, same thing, especially in the summertime. Like, basically, there's an understanding that Fridays are slow, most days are slow in the summer, and that, like, basically, you work from home one day a week. Yeah, you work it, and so... The four-day week is already here. It's just radically unevenly distributed. Absolutely, yeah. But the, the, the crucial thing, surely, is that 
if we have a four day week, so basically what you're saying is in four days, you can be as productive as you are in five days, right? So what you want is to make sure that those, uh, the surplus production is still evenly distributed among the workers rather than they just, the, the, the bosses just say, all right, we'll just cut pay then. Cut pay by 20%. Absolutely, have your three yeah. day week. Enjoy, yeah. enjoy less that. money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't so, see so, it. So, so, therefore, so therefore, you know, having that presence, uh, having that, you know, trade union presence is very important for it to work for everyone, isn't it? But it's that we have to, I think we have to be more ambitious. And I think a lot of people are saying, oh, cool, there might be a four day week, as though a four day week is just something that might happen to them. Yeah. Without remembering the fact that the fact that we have a five day week is something that a lot of trade unionists have fought and died for. But also that we have in this country specifically have had a period of time in which we had a three day week and that there are people still working today who have a living memory of a period of time during the oil crisis that like people actually literally work three day weeks because of shortages in this country. And it's like, there was a time in which, you know, some people would work crazy hours on those three days you know, to make up for it. Or some people would work like, you know, the equivalent of a three day week by work my half shifts, but it has happened. And the world didn't come to an end when the three day week took place in the early seventies. So like it can be done. It's just a matter of, I mean, what we mostly do now is a lot of, a lot of companies are just inventing stuff for people to do. Like they, like, like mostly it seems that perhaps instead of having a four day week, instead we have like a lot of jobs where, um, we have like document checkers that don't, we, we don't really need to be checking these documents or, you know, um, layers of management that are monitoring performance that don't really need to be there. Or people who literally just don't really do anything on Monday mornings or Friday afternoons, but like they, they're in their desks because somebody is watching them, but there's no actual labor being performed. It's almost yeah. as though David Graeber has an extremely astute analysis of the labor market <laughs> and that mostly we should probably have a no day week. Well, I mean, uh, we're podcasters, so yeah. we're basically working on that. <laughs> no, there's no management overseeing what goes on here, as is incredibly evident from the product. So, <laughs> so to the Trade Unions Congress says four-day week within the next century, I say that's a good start, but let's be more ambitious. The podcasters' confer- uh, 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 conference says, let's have uh, an 80-hour work year within the next currently. Well... No, go ahead, please. I was just going to ad lib some shit. Please go. Ahead. No, no, go for it. No, I, 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 well, I mean, I mean, ultimately, it, it's what gets me about it is that at least in the United States, there have been companies that have experimented with doing temporary periods of four day work weeks, and what they've determined is that workers are still just as productive. That people still create as much, if you want to call it, value as they would in a five day work week, because so much of a five day work week is just filling in the time that you're obligated to be in a desk or wherever your workstation is or whatever you're doing, if it's not hourly work, you know, filling a seat, but being there to be counted, but not necessarily generating anything. And then if you tell someone you can have a three-day weekend, you just have to get everything done in four days, they'll do it because the the reward of that additional day off is enough. And ultimately, like, what what I'm trying to say is that anybody who's worked a white-collar job or, like, some in-between kind of job that's not hourly, that's not like, you know, where you clock in, clock out, has knows that the, the whole appeal of a salaried position is that you're at times getting paid to not work. And that yeah. people stretch the amount of work that, like, is within tolerance for performance so that they don't have to work too hard during a five-day week because a lot of it's just filling time. And that if you give people a shorter timeline with which to complete their work, they'll still be able to do it. It's not hard because what that's admitting is that 
a lot of the time you're getting paid for is wasted anyway, even without appealing to the argument of like generating more value. Because like that to me seems like kind of like a shareholder argument and not like a worker argument. You can, the society can still function with people working fewer hours because salary jobs are basically forcing people to sit places they don't want to be pretending to work because of us. What's effectively a like a social expectation, but not actually like a productive thing. Yeah, it's the spreadsheet factory. Mm. Yeah, and like <clears throat> you have three days off, you're more chilled out, you're more refreshed, ready to go Monday or whatever Tuesday, <laughs> depending on what day we have off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd quite like to keep the Friday feeling. Oh, yeah, I <laughs> you know, I want feeling. I want a Friday at work and have the Friday feeling, and then have Monday off. And also, I think <laughs> politics for so long now has been kind of just ambling along with this post-Cold uh, War consensus and, you know, accepting the tenets of neoliberalism and this kind of managerialism and, and lacks any kind of vision other than let's grow the economy by X amount each year and just hope that the, the system takes care of everything else. And now I think what we've got an opportunity to do is have, now we've had this kind of reset uh, since the financial crisis is to actually have a vision of where we want to take the country and what we want to take society. And that should be, no one has to work. That should be the objective. And everything we do should be working towards that objective. So the first step is a, is a four-day week, and then it's a three-day week, and then a two-day week, and then work if you like. Mm. That, I mean, that-, that Everyone has why, a Patreon. Why, why, why on earth? Why, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why, Everyone's a poster why and podcaster. We, why on earth would that not appeal to people that we can be honest about our vision? Like, we're not like the Tories where we're like- they just they can't be honest about what they believe because what they believe is actually really shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was having this discussion with someone the other day about like the two kinds of Tories and how actually <laughs> I can stomach the ones like Boris Johnson more because at least they have a vague sense of pleasurable things in life. Like they just like they just want to fuck and be able to say the n word. Like you can, I can kind of like I can kind of understand. Like they at least take pleasure in something. Whereas like the fucking like people like Theresa May just want everyone to be miserable. Like they just have no, they just want nothing to be pleasurable ever for anyone. So now that we've done the cold open, we've done the opening of the show for a million years. Shall we get into the content, ladies and gentlemen? Well, I mean, we're it's on, a socialist podcast, we're, gentlemen. We're on, we're on, we're on a Patreon, Comrades. so like people are paying for this. They want more of us. They want as much <laughs> of, of you shit. talking as you they can possibly get. They so want to see some nip. On the thirtieth of September, two thousand sixteen, the New European Newspaper won the serial rights to the fifth volume of Alistair Campbell's diaries about the Blair government. Five volumes, it, it's like fucking war and peace. Which it serialized over three weeks. Subsequently, in March 2017, the newspaper announced that it appointed Campbell as editor-at-large. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about the New European, Britain's <laughs> premium newspaper for fantasist bullshit. Volume 5, in which Count Vasilevsky discovers a shocking thing about Asbos and attempts to murder Rasputin. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Matt, do you want to tell us, um, what is the New European? The New European was uh, born, rose from the ashes of Brexit. <laughs> of the old European. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a, a, a journal, a weekly journal, uh, so not technically a newspaper, I don't think, because it's not every day, uh, that espouses a kind of liberal centrism, a kind of pining for the status quo, uh, 
I think they have. Does an AC Grayling write for it? I've never oh, bought it. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You yeah, ask me does. about it. I've never fucking read it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've read. Yeah. I've read uh, one or two articles here and there from them, but have invariably recoiled because it's just like Brexit fantasy, like a, a kind of I don't know, appealing to a sense. We were talking about this earlier that like there's a certain kind of centrist particularly in Britain, but like in the United States in our own right, where or 2016 was like 1989 in reverse, and they had become so accustomed to the idea that like ideology no longer exists, that when ideology manifests itself, they're like, what is this foreign thing? I don't like it. It shouldn't <laughs> exist. Make it go away. And they pine for those halcyon days of paradise that were like 2015 when apparently the world was perfect yeah when 2015 when when john stewart was a credible political voice when the world was dancing to what was the world dan- what was the world dancing to in 2015 was it girls allowed i think that's i think that's too late for is that girls too, late? It's too late for i think girls 2015 allowed. was like uh, carly ray jepsen yeah, the, yeah. Wor- the world was discovering mm. the beauties of carly ray jepsen's second album emotion I don't, I don't know the name of the album. That, I'm, I'm pretty learning sure. a lot about you today, Riley. <laughs> well, you were learning mostly that I just memorize everything I ever see because my brain is really regular. I'm never inviting you to one of my sex parties again. <laughs> but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, though, the, the New European is basically an anti-Brexit publication. Yeah, That's its point. It is, it is a publication that was founded upon Brexit to be like, hey, Brexit's bad. Um, which is, I mean, it's replicating the successful Remain yeah. campaign. More or less. Yeah, but I think the, the, the key difference between, say, for example, the New European and the Daily Mail is the Daily Mail had a body of readers before it became massively Eurosceptic and converted a huge proportion of its readership to believing that Brexit was a good idea. Whereas the New European has a very small clique of hardcore Remainers and it's not convincing anyone. It is essentially a big vanity project to make everyone feel better about themselves. Yeah. Well, it's the- Those are people who are seriously rock hard for remaining in the EU. <laughs> <laughs> they just fucking love common agricultural policy. I just, I've never, I've never, I mean, I understand- the economic sort of greater good arguments, but I've never understood the people who are like vehemently like bloodthirstily committed to the EU because I wonder what's their stake in it. Oh, I understand them. What's their stake in it? It's like I might buy a villa in Spain when I retire, so I will fucking force you to remain in the EU. I, I can't. I can't understand. Well, this is, in fact, this is this is when when Matt when I when I did your podcast, Matt and at Novara, we talked about this. It's that these are a lot of people who have a really like the the hardcore remainer, um, the the remoner, if you like, is the kind of person who has like who really loves the idea that they're better than the working class because they're a little bit French. They're European now. They're cosmopolitan. They've left behind all the dum dums in Hall, more or less. Now, at the risk of being the, a Brendan O'Neill person who sort of valorizes sort of an imagined working class. Fuck you. <laughs> At the risk of being a Brendan O'Neill person who valorizes an imagined working class social conservatism, this is a kind of social conservatism that exists in the middle class where there is this idea that there is, we are superior to the non-cosmopolitan dum-dums who may just be non-cosmopolitan because they don't have any fucking money. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Um, so, oh, les petits working class, huh? <laughs> So if you want to understand, I've never even tried bullseye. 
If you want an understanding of the new European, I would suggest that they run their editorial style runs the gamut from genuinely sensible criticism of like conservative party recklessness vis-a-vis the European Union to a genuinely psychotic level of bootlicking of capital and an ignorance of history that deserves a dunce cap the size of the fucking shard. The shard is actually the, the shape of a dunce cap, isn't it? So in a way, the shard is a dunce yes. cap the size yeah. of the shard. I mean, the, the yeah. shard is a and London is the dunce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love what, what a, like the, the shard is like a fail son, like, they oh, spend absolutely. like billions on it and like they can't even sell most of the fucking space in it because it's too fucking expensive. But it looks like where the villain of a Final Fantasy game hangs out at, like when they're planning their fucking capers. <laughs> no, <laughs> dude. Just, the, the if, you, if you're a billionaire, I think you'd probably get the top floor of that, wouldn't yeah. you? Just, like cause, just cosplay. Just, you want to be there when they shoot the death ray into space, whatever it's going to be used no, the, for. No, the shard is the architectural equivalent of like sending, of, like, sending your useless kid to like Tish or goldsmiths to learn ah. creative writing. The Shard, the lair of famous villain Dr. No, UK tax liability. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know who's based at the Shard? Politics Home. I went there once recently and I was like, bloody hell, and it's lovely office. And I was like, what do you do to generate money? Lord Ashcroft funds it, of course. Correct, correct me if I'm uh. wrong. Didn't, didn't Kevin Schofield, or Schofield, I don't know how his name is pronounced, I've only read it. But didn't he once accidentally tweet a picture of his bare ass while trying to complain on Snapchat about a hotel shower? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, Here's the thing. Where do you hear this? I, I don't. don't I Riley don't. has like a semi-photographic memory for Twitter scandals. Like, not completely photographic, but just partially. Oh, the so he can't remember any- the ass photo. He just doesn't remember the context. So, he can't so remember the names. It might have been Kevin Schofield. It might have been Philip Schofield. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was a Schofield. <laughs> it was a Schofield. It was a Schofield. There was an ass involved. I know this. <laughs> For a fact, we all remember Someone. when Philip Schofield mooned live on fucking the mo- that Look, morning TV show, whatever it is. It's not Good Morning Britain, it's the other this one. Morning. This morning. Whatever yeah. judge is hearing this case, I don't remember who it was. Also, the short is a Death Star, Riley. Hit the content. <laughs> okay. Can't libel anyone if you don't say who guys, it was. Because guys, then by saying guys. it's libel, they're admitting it's them. I don't know who it was. It was someone. I think it might have been them. I'm not entirely sure. Guys, shall we read the first piece of new European content? Yes, yeah. please. Airhorn. Airhorn, 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 Airhorn. So, immediately after Brexit, in July 2016, the Euro- new European published the following piece. Um, by Richard Branson. Hell yeah. So they asked him, what are his five recommendations um, for Britain uh, to maintain competitiveness after Brexit uh, or even to stop Brexit entirely? And uh, this is just going to give you a flavor of the way the new European approaches reality. The first two recommendations are, to be honest, actually kind of reasonable which is that Branson says it is crucial to frame what our possible trading relations with the EU could look like. Fine. Business exists for now, unless we have our way, in which case it won't. Um, but it exists for now. Um, what? No, business no products will be produced. <laughs> business is dumb. Riley doesn't want worker ownership. He just doesn't want commerce to exist. He's no, like, fuck, fuck that. Business. Fuck I want to do sales. I want to do posting and sleep. <laughs> Everything else will be figured out by someone smarter. Yeah, fuck it. Second, <laughs> Riley wants to live in idiocracy where they poison the crops with Gatorade. Second, the UK needs to ensure EU nationals like living and working in the UK's status is secured. Fine. The first two proposals actually quite sensible. 
The third is where it goes off the rails, and you can see the extent to which the New European is just like a bootlicking fan cast. Third, the government must focus on major infrastructure projects that the UK desperately needs and were long part of Prime Minister David Cameron's manifesto. The country's... Anyone want to guess what infrastructure? Anyone want to guess? Trains. Is it it's trains. trains. It's trains. The country's <laughs> railway, railway infrastructure is in need of upgrade and investment. I wonder who could benefit from that. He doesn't mean nationalization, though, does he? No. Oh, no. no. We will have upgrade and we will have investment, but we will still make loads of shit, loads of money out of it. Right. I mean, and put the fares up. None of that. To be we'll go, fair. We get reinvested in the trains. No, no, no. It'll go to uh, my it's airfare. To be fair, we've got no evidence to suggest that Richard Branson doesn't mean nationalization. You know? Would <laughs> <laughs> much like there's no evidence to suggest. <laughs> stop it! Stop it! <laughs> we have no idea if he's ever even met Jeffrey Epstein. Okay, <laughs> there are some that things we, we can just, leave in. We just can't know. We just he's can't know. In the realm, you can't nonce in a suit of armor. Okay. <laughs> there is actually quite a. Uh, <laughs> there is actually a precedent for noncing in a suit of armor. <laughs> <laughs> is that? Yeah, uh, I would. I, I would say. You know, it's every day I learn something. Sir new. Jimmy Savile is uh, one. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, but from beyond the grave, he had, he had an exemption. He used oh to my wear god, the he, got, he got buried in a suit no, of armor. No, that's an episode of Scooby Doo. I would watch. <laughs> that's why he was the only knight of the realm to wear the tracksuit. It was easily removed. <laughs> okay, you know, Wait, I, I, I learned so see. many things every day in this country, and one of them is I didn't realize nonce was a verb as well as a noun. So I'm oh, it's a verb. I am it's fucking amazed. So if so, immigration ever come round, you can prove that you're actually resident. So, <laughs> I learned the secrets. Fourth, the UK needs to create more connectivity with the rest of the world to ensure we have the best opportunities for building new trading relationships. Anyone want to guess how we create more connectivity with the rest of the world according to what the new European just uncritically printed that Richard Branson had to say? I'm going to go with Heathrow Runway. Dog, we have a wiener. You sunk my private yacht ship. The UK has to build another airport, another heat runway at Heathrow. <laughs> you know, because of Brexit. It's yeah. almost like there's this airways that's owned by a guy with long hair. I can't imagine what it's, what's it called. Incel, Incel Airlines. Oh no, 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 no! It's far purer than that. It must be. It must be Virginity Airways. I can't yeah, remember. Of course. You know, like it was uh, extra first pressing airways. Yeah, it's 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 Jeffrey Epstein. It's called Jeffrey Epstein Airways. Oh no, no, that's a different. No, it's a a different airline. That only goes international waters with no (laughs) no landings. You can fly refuels for reasons. It's not Polar Express. Here's the here's the fifth here's the fifth point. Lastly, I would like to continue and build on the success of David Cameron's startup loan scheme, which encouraged entrepreneurs to start new businesses with small government backed loans of. 25,000 pounds. Last year, the scheme helped more than 13,000 companies get off the ground, and we at Virgin provided funding, mentorship, and support to more than 1,000 of them in the last two and a half years. Well, what sort of mentorship and support do you provide, Virgin? Because all I can see is most of your business is just extracting money from the fucking public sector, taking loads of government money, and just pissing it up the wall and running a shit service. That's basically your business model. He sued the NHS when no one else would. (laughs) (laughs) Someone has to do it. Not all heroes wear linen suits. Linen suits, that'd be a very different suit. (laughs) Not all heroes wear tracksuits for that matter, but the ones who do... 
all wear tracksuits. All their secrets come out posthumously. (laughs) So basically, that should give you an idea of the kind of shit the new European sometimes prints. What's that quote where they say... um, uh, journalism is printing something that someone doesn't want written. Everything else is public relations. I see New, new European have just completely cast that principle aside. We're going to break the rules. We're just going to print someone's public relations. Well, so here's yeah. the, I'm, I'm going to do an uncharacteristic thing for Trash Future. I'm no. going to be fair to the New European. Okay. So the new, new European also has, if you like, a position on politics and government. This is a more recent essay they've printed from a certain Mr... A.C. Grayling. All right. I'm the intrigued. biggest genius in Britain, second only to Brendan O'Neill. The thing is, A.C. Grayling is a, a proponent of, uh, I think he's a real proponent of Plato because he, he believes in this kind of philosopher rule and everyone is stupid. And really, what the really intelligent, smart people should be in charge and everyone should be listening to what he has to say. And he would have a show, not a column in the New European, he'd have a show on TV every day and everyone would have to watch A.C. Grayling. Oh, everyone would have to fucking watch A.C. A.C. Grayling understands that the smartest person in the world is A.C. Grayling. It's like smart people Fahrenheit 451 and you have to fucking pay attention <laughs> yeah, for, or you die. For A.C. Grayling, like, damn, every day is January 1st, 1984 by George Orwell. <laughs> And then the titular line, of course, Happy New Year, 1984. It never ends. It's just the same year. Yeah, no, A.C. Grayling lives in January 1st, 1984, Groundhog Day. Follow, follow up on the A.C. Grayling stuff, please. <laughs> yeah, okay. Follow up? Well, I'm just saying, like, the stuff that you have written in the notes. Yes. Continue on. So A.C. Grayling, um, is, he runs, he runs like, a, like, a, like a university that's, I don't know, I've never really heard of. Oh, and yeah, New College of the Humanities. The New College of the Humanities, which... I don't know. What is it? What is the new College of the Humanities? AC Grayling, or as he was known before Tesla, DC Grayling. <laughs> can we have an AC Grayling theme song and it be an ACDC song? Okay. Can somebody please, um, this is now the new, the new thing, please write in with what you think the AC Grayling theme song should be. Thunderstruck by ACDC. I'm sorry. It's already decided. Oh, well, it's decided. Nate wins. Highway to hell. Highway. And he looks like an, like an 18th century German intellectual. It's the fucking hair. So yeah. AC Grayling writes um, that politics is getting in the way of good government, which is an article the New European printed for some reason. Too long has politics been involved in the process of government. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, he's uh, uh, Grayling, like to like to, to a very small amount of his credit, cites like three procedural issues about supermajorities and referenda. Which he believes are like you, know, you need like two weeks to fell a government or whatever, right? Um, but he thinks are the real problem in Britain that there's an issue with the rules and the rules are slightly wrong because the rules are politics and government shouldn't have politics in it, more or less. No rules on AC Grayling's crazy train. Right. So that's this is fundamentally his point of view, and I'm going to read a little. Um, I'm going to read a, li- a little bit, a little bit from here. Uh, from, I'm not going to read a lot from his article, just a little bit, because most of it is just a waste of time. Um, what gets in the way of good government now is politics, party politicking, and then party politicking, and the emotions of politics: ambition, envy, hostility, and fear. Fear of losing an election, fear of not getting up the greasy pole, subvert and corrupt the process of delivering government that is in the interest of all. Good government and just laws. That is to say, service to all sections of the community, ensuring equality of opportunity and concern and the safety and well-being of all. 
These are the aims of government, and politics fundamentally gets in the way of it. Can anyone tell me why that's a load of horse shit? reads like a fucking letter by Cicero to one of his friends. <laughs> Has that same, like, just, like, really long-winded, not particularly about anything. <laughs> like, just ranges through, like, kind of vague philosophy that's not very well thought out, and then back onto, and how is your dear wife, my Atticus? <laughs> it's like, wow, <clears throat> the argument over who gets to have what resources gets in the way of executing those decisions. I think what a he, fucking insight. I think he's correct. But for not for the reason but not for the reasons that he thinks. Okay. Right? Like you I think always you've in in politics if you want to climb the greasy pole as he describes, then you have to ascribe to the the prevalent ideology in that particular political party. Like now, for example, you've got this tension between the careerists who were like climbing the greasy pole uh, because they're, you know, and, and, and in order to do that, they were kind of ascribing to Blairism or whatever the prevalent ideology was. And and now they've realised, actually, this isn't going to be good for their careers. So they're going to have to either do a really embarrassing kind of U-turn and become pro-Corbyn or just fight. Which, to be fair, some of them have. And that, some and of them have done have. a U-turn. But, the, but, the, but I just say the key difference is that with Corbyn's politics, people actually feel like they're, part of something, the part of movement. It's not about just individuals pursuing their own like kind of careers. Uh, We've ignored uh, what option three for these people is, which is the real galaxy brain option of starting a new centrist party. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I wish someone would. So, but the thing is, Chuck, Chuck has made this sort of point at the weekend when he- gave, For American gave, listeners, Chuck uh, Romano is Chuck a Labour MP. He's a Labour MP. It's a shitty one. Named but, after a unit of polo match. He's a- he gave an event at Progress Conference. Progress is a think tank that is a Blairite think tank founded by Tony Blair himself. Uh, to about, he gave a talk to about 15 people at the weekend and all the national media was there, of course. And he said, I'm a social democrat. I want to come up with ideas. I don't want everything to be look, viewed through the prism of whether I'm pro-Corbyn or anti-Corbyn. Well, the thing is, Corbyn is a leader of the Labour Party. We have a direction that we're taking the party in if you want to contribute to the policy formulation, you're very welcome to do that. If you want to sit there and bitch constantly, then just you might as well leave the party. And I think that's what they will end up doing. And I hope they do it before the next general election. Oh, and we are getting there. But the point is, is that all of these people want, want government to be non-political. Yeah, but they never, want it to be something technical. They want, no, they want it to be uh, ambiguous. They want the Labour Party to be ambiguous and they want the Conservative Party to be ambiguous and everything to then fall within these narrow neoliberal parameters. So nothing ever changes. That's what they want. And then people can come up with their own, and then it becomes issues-based politics, identity politics. They just want Jeremy Corbyn to come out and say, there's no evidence to suggest that Richard Branson is a nonce. But there is also no evidence to suggest that he isn't. All we need is for Richard Branson to come forward and present his evidence, and then we'll make a judgment. <laughs> But they they had sorry, they had this um they had I think th there was a guy that unwittingly summed it up perfectly on Twitter when he said, I just want three parties that I can vote for and I can't vote for any of them. But actually, what are you fucking talking about? Yeah. You can't have three parties. It's not it's not a you're not you're not going shopping to go and like <laughs> find, you're not finding like what what sort of drink do I want to drink tonight? What beer do I want? It you know, at the end of the day parties being ideological and being political is part of the democratic process. Yeah, it's, it is a contest over resources. That's fucking politics. Well, also, you can't have politics without politics. But also it's like for people that 
pine for the kind of neoliberal consensus they're sort of telling on themselves in a way because they're identifying that like they're a class of people who are not affected by politics. They're not affected by the decisions that are getting made. So in a way, they're, they're effectively saying, well, I wish that things could be civil and apolitical and we could have consensus. And then when we have to make benefit cuts, we just make them because that's how we do belt tightening because it's good for the country. And all these kinds of things that will never affect them. And in a way, it's like by voicing that sort of like desire to just go back to this era when things were less contentious, what they're basically saying is like, I don't want to be bothered by all these people who now think they're entitled to voice their opinions. Oh, but yeah. Nate, it's going to affect them now because the olives are getting more expensive. They're getting a lot you more expensive. You have awoken a sleeping giant. Anyone who thinks they're apolitical is just in power and ignorant of the fact. Or is probably wearing a fedora and owns a sword. But if, 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 so if, you, if you just, if you, if you, if you ask someone who is like a, a proponent of Blairism, uh, what, Blair's achievements were, then they will always say the same things. Minimum wage, which was set at a rate that was lower than would have impacted, like it was basically a, a rate that was agreed with FTSE 100. Uh, and Sure Start, Sure Start was that something that's introduced under Gordon Brown, as were tax credits. A lot of this kind of neoliberalism, Thatcherism with a human face, really the concessions that were given or the amelioration of Thatcherism under New Labour, given they had such a massive majority and three terms, it's quite, it's quite pathetic, really. And there's a massive missed opportunity. I like and- the idea that Thatcher didn't have a human face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what that face was. No, Th- Thatcher, Thatcher was from the opening of Terminator 2, where she's stepping on the skull. But I mean, we had the similar, similar thing in the United States with the Democratic Party under Clinton, that like basically they were able to tread on grounds that Reagan couldn't, in terms of like, Look, you know, cutting cutting social benefits to the bone, and had there not been the Lewinsky scandal, that literally would, they were aiming to privatize social security. The kinds of things that Blair was able to accomplish were the kinds of things that Thatcher would have basically await, like you know, incurred a firestorm had she tried to. But they were able to basically take it and make that the norm, make that the consensus. And it's like it's this weird window in in political history in the West or in Britain that people are acting as though like. You know, that's the norm and nothing else can be the norm. Everything else is abnormal. When you realize that actually like that era of neoliberal consensus absolutely is an aberration. And they just want that because that's what they, you know, they were given their political sinecures in that era. That's the era they understand. But we are getting to that. Of course, course everyone is really nice and civil to each other. If if everyone is everyone who works for a newspaper and writes comment pieces and, you know, has a profile, media profile, is uh, signed up to neoliberalism. Sorry that you no longer think the discourse is civil, but we no longer ever, it's no longer the case that everyone agrees with each other. And that's <laughs> a good thing. Bill Clinton's like, well, neoliberalism never did me any harm. I got my dick sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think the, that was really good, by the way. Thank you. The impressions have been very good. So, oh, think, thank you. I think it was the rest of what I've said. <laughs> <laughs> what you said in those voices was abhorrent. But <laughs> the voices themselves. But, well, ultimately, the new European view of politics is that politics definitely did stop in 1991. And there are some ignorant people who are trying to restart it again. AC Grayling is fundamentally one of the dumbest people in existence, and they just print him.
I want to move on to the next topic, however. <laughs> we'll just draw a line under that. I see Grayling is dumb. <laughs> next. Sorry, sorry. Is one of you guys going to disagree with <laughs> He's the dumbest person in history. We've identified this. It's a fact. Just deal with it. AC Grayling is dumb as shit. Or is anyone else going to disagree with me? <laughs> if having an Oliver Cromwell haircut is dumb, I don't want to be right. <laughs> So the New Europeans' ignorance of history in the context of any particular event can verge on astonishing. In an article about all the great thing the EU has done for oppressed people in Europe, crucial, historically, uh, let's see if we can't notice a little pattern. So uh, um, there are three, here are, here are four lines, in fact, from the New European, and let's find out what all these countries have in common. Greece was admitted as a way to ensure stability and democracy in Southern Europe at the height of the Cold War. It worked, and Greece provided a model for Spain and Portugal to follow five years later. Peace and stability in Spain was far from guaranteed following the death of Franco in 75, but was achieved in large part in its transformation to a parliamentary democracy by its aspiration to join the European community. And Portugal followed a similar peaceful trajectory from relatively recent dictatorship to social democracy and membership in the EU. And let's not forget Ireland. Brussels has providing millions of pounds of financial support to peace initiatives in the region since 89, almost a decade before the Good Friday Agreement. Anyone want to tell me what those four countries have in common right now? Uh, Euro fucked them really bad. <laughs> <laughs> really bad. Thanks, Europe. An uncritical thank you to the European Union for definitely fixing these countries in a fundamental way. Yeah, great. Greece is doing great. Right? Yeah, Greece. And, and they're hey, okay. I will have you know that Greece has better wage growth than the UK. Okay, so clearly they're aspirational in the European community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're entrepreneurial. They're doing fucking coding classes, all right? Greece has like no private sector at all. So in many ways, it's the ideal country. Portugal's actually doing quite well, I think. It is because now. it's bucking the trend. It's, yeah. it, it elected a leftist government, anti-austerity. Well, yeah. it's it's you can do coke there. Probably <laughs> you can. Yeah, you, you yeah you can do most things. Yeah, uh, Richard Branson might want to go. Branson has it on his list. Yeah. He's flying there. He's inbound. We don't know that. We don't know for a fact. We don't, we don't know, know that, that he's fact. not. We don't know that he's not. We don't know that he is. I can't it's prove ambiguous. that Richard Branson's not in there, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> but like, 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 so, I mean, look, the fundamental thing is these, the Europe, the, the, all of these countries like exceeded the European Union and had tremendous financial crises in large part because their monetary policy was just stolen from them and their capacity to engage in any kind of fiscal redistribution was just completely abrogated by membership in this club. And again, mm. I'm saying this is someone who voted remain and would again. The European Union is a flawed institution well, and the new Europeans worship of it is troubling. To be fair, if we're going to be fair to the new European again, it should be my turn to be fair to them this time. Like, I think the problems caused in like Greece, Spain and Italy and Portugal were mostly due to the Euro rather than the European Union, because basically that meant that those current those countries could no longer export anything because they had a massively overvalued currency so that the Germans could sell discounted BMWs. Right. So suddenly, if you're selling olive oil in Greece, your olive oil is really fucking expensive and no one wants to buy it. And that's kind of the problem. Basically, in all of those countries, they suddenly all of their economy just collapsed. And then it was fine at the time because they were getting huge amounts of investment from the EU, which was basically like funding there. And like they had massive amount of investment in public services, which is 
how yeah. Greece ended up with like having like but, 15 policemen for every person who lives in Greece. But <laughs> like, obviously that's not a sustainable way to run an economy. Sounds like Michael Gove's wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> Just him yeah. and 15 policemen <laughs> coming on him. But that's the other, that's the other thing. In maybe, maybe not. Maybe not, we don't know. We have no, no. idea. We have Michael no way Gove, of come on and discuss it. <laughs> we have no way of knowing if that's the case. But, Discover your chin and be here. Here's the thing. Future. But here's the thing. These are countries that fundament that all joined the European Union when they had political instability. And again, the new European just just says we solved their political instability. We made them non-political. And now, like everyone under thirty, is just trying to get a job as a Twitch streamer. Yeah. What? Look, we made that. We created this paradise where no no one is political, and everyone signs up to the same ideology and there's no kind of discrepancy or no, no divergence from this very narrow set of neoliberal parameters but how dare these countries elect fascist governments like Hungary mm. you know and it's like well I'm, I'm not I'm not gonna be an apologist for that uh, I think fascism is an aberration it's disgusting uh, but you wonder why you know people are polarizing and there must be a reason there must be a reason for that it's not just happening here it's happening in Italy, it's happening in Portugal, it's happening across the world, right? There must be a problem with the system. It must be f- failing. And that's happened since the financial crisis, right? And if your whole paper's program is to apologize for the system, then perhaps what you're doing is not even appealing to the 48%. You're appealing to an asymptotically shrinking percentage of people until it's just a paper by and for Matt Kelly. Good word. But also the point I think that you're, you're kind of glancing there, you're approaching but never quite touching, almost asymptotically, is that these, the people who can subscribe to this ideology are people for whom these were fat years. These were good, you know, this was a golden age of, even if they don't personally experience it, it's just sort of like, it generates an emotional response of kind of open borders and just like internationalism in Europe. And what they don't realize is that for the average person in some of these countries, like their working conditions have become worse since this has happened, and it's like you might, they might have an emotional response to the European Union and the Euro and all the things that it's sort of like the sort of exercising the ghosts of the Second World War. But like, if that doesn't mean a material improvement in conditions for people who are living ordinary lives in these countries, then why on earth would they support it? Like, they don't have this weird kind of like upper class emotional attachment to it that these people involved, you know, people that you're citing do. Like, because for them, it's, I don't know, like, it's, it, it, it's like the football team with, uh, you know, the nice, charming captain has won as opposed to, like, the one that's boorish and vulgar. But it doesn't actually affect their lives. It literally is like an exhibition. Well, it's a, it's a, fundamentally, there are people whose living conditions are pegged to capital and people whose living conditions are inversely pegged Agreed, to capital. Yeah. And in this case, we happen to have set up a situation in which... There are people in which the people whose living conditions are pegged to capital have massively improved as a result of the European Union and those who aren't vice versa. And the new European is just consistently fucking shocked as to why they'd want to throw a brick through the window. I'm just being pegged by capital. <laughs> and again, the and in this article, the other <laughs> the other sort of great peaceful achievements, which is why the EU won the Nobel Peace Prize for some fucking reason, almost as bizarre as like drone king Barack Obama. How the hell 
world you give like just like an amorphous well, like no, because the nobel peace prize commission is a reactionary piece of like shit like an abstract thing like the european union and nobel peace prize it's like giving toast the nobel peace prize it's just like <laughs> like you could give it to someone in the european union you give it to like jean-claude Juncker. i mean you, you might say that's not a good idea but i mean you could give it to a person but giving it to the european union is just insane it's like we're giving the nobel peace prize to the sea it's done a lot of good work this year we've decided that the thing that brings people together in the most peaceful way is breakfast so we have awarded the nobel peace prize to breakfast who could hate porridge no one well they also they they give them they they, they also like credit ukraine which is as far as i'm aware still an out and out war between just different kinds of nazis um you would be being shelled very differently if it wasn't for the European Union. Cyprus, which is a double whammy. It's still technically at war between Greece and Turkey and subject to economic ruin. And then the Balkans, which is just a mea culpa. We fucked up. We didn't prevent any kind of genocide. Congratulations, European Union. You did a great job in all of these, like all of these arenas that the new European has cited us for as reasons to be thankful to Europe. Yeah, I went to Zagreb and it was shit. But also, who do I blame? Riley? Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. And I did a little bit of research about this. Um, that we'd be loath so, to you? forget. I, did a little, <laughs> I mean, I've been driving myself insane about this for a couple of days. Listeners better be fucking thankful. I learned to read last week, and now I was getting overexcited. <laughs> I've been going way crazy with it. And we'd be loath to forget that the fortress Europe policies are at the heart of the manufactured and migrant crisis the EU has engineered at its own borders, which has led to literally tens of thousands of deaths. And if you search Frontex, which is the European border force on the New Europeans website, it hits one article, which is actually an article about Jacob fucking Reese Mogg. And so if Matt Kelly is going to be concerned about fucking genocide, then I don't know, maybe you should consider an, commissioning an article about a fucking human fucking travesty that the EU is currently carrying out right now. But Jacob Rees-Mogg is so charismatic and compelling and not a weird Dickensian villain. I mean... Jacob Rees-Mogg is like a tea cozy. He's something where no one's really sure quite what it's for, but your nan likes it and it's possibly reactionary. What do you think? What do you think's worse value, Trash Future Premium or Telegraph Premium? Well, we subscribe to Telegraph Premium, you so actually, I can see the articles that we read from. Your Patreon dollars can at I, work. Can I just? Can I just? Uh, I, f- I found a, a brilliant article uh, actually on the um, uh, posted to the uh, Twitter DM that we're all in. Uh, something has gone wrong when my son's ten-year-old best friend is an avowed communist. <laughs> Telegraph <laughs> Premium. Is that an article from the Soviet Union? <laughs> like, my son keeps going on about his grandfather Lenin. <laughs> don't talk about the people we game with, okay? <laughs> well, I was just laughing because you said what's worse, Trash Future Premium or Telegraph Premium, but I was thinking, but Spectator Podcast Premium is absolutely the worst because Hussein and I have listened to the Spectators podcast, and it's like they use that microphone, like four or five of the microphones that you've got right there, Riley, but they don't edit it for shit. So it literally sounds like they just put their phone in the center of the room and recorded it, but like. Hussein swear, also I swear saw. To fucking God, wait, 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 I've actually been on that podcast twice. Yeah, and you wow. go in right, and uh, and it's exactly as you imagine the spectator offices to look. It looks like a kind of seventeenth-century house, yeah. and you sit down, and everyone's on the same sofa, very old sofa, very ornate. And you're right; it's one microphone in the middle of the table. 
And it just sounds like, and the, but, but Hussein saw them requisitioning like a contract for a podcast producer and they're going to pay like 24,000 pounds a year for that. And he's like, wow, that'd be amazing to make 24,000 pounds a year for a show where I fucking suck at my job. Like don't have to be good at producing. Yeah. I swear to fucking God, do all of you have little bilateral projects where you just all go off together? Like, like Nate, you and Hussein watching the Spectator podcast, you guys making your videos for the Russians. This is very hurtful. Sorry, <laughs> Riley. Propaganda videos for the Russians. We are. We're, we're making videos that let Russians look down on Britain. Yeah. So speaking of looking down on Britain, speaking of looking down on Britain, um, I don't know how this is going to be like, like the magic of editing. It's going to work here. I'm um, going to work really hard I mean, to make we, this I mean, good. I think that what we're probably going to do, because, dear listener, we went to go grab beer in between this segment and the previous one. Um, Don't but, waste your time on editing. editing. It's already an <laughs> unsalvageable episode. <laughs> the, real, the real tragedy, though, is that I think we've actually had some, <laughs> some bloody good riffs. That have oh. been lost because your laptop is this from 1997. The kind Subscribe of to the Patreon that would make AC Grayling put on his child's school uniform, get out his Gibson, and bust him out. Yeah, I'm sure I'm, AC Grayling busts just fine. <laughs> well, I mean, I will say that uh, in a way, I feel as though when I'm not in the room and you're recording a big drunken mess of an episode, you're like, "Oh, we gotta get this back on track." Nate's gonna hate us, but now that I'm here and I'm contributing to the mess, you're like, "Fuck that! Let's just do some dumb shit. Whatever. We're editing. It'll happen somehow." Yo, everyone on your iPhone, yeah. chant with me really softly. Fuck Nate. Fuck Nate. You're just jealous because you don't get to make Russian propaganda videos and woking. Damn, I'm with me so and Milo. jealous. Exactly. All you guys have your special friendships. I'm really mad. So, um, Matt Kelly. Finally, we're going to come to the editor of the New European. So basically, he screen grabbed one of my tweets, and I'll read that out in a second, but this is the preamble. Jeremy Corbyn's former press spokesman, Matt Zarb, today poetically articulating a broader theme amongst the current influences in Labour, which is, does the centre-left belong anymore? Although I can't match his eloquence, I do answer the question here. And then he links to his GQ article, and then the tweet he's, he's screen grabbed is, me saying, nothing motivates me quite like the sweet smell of centrists shitting themselves on the timeline every single day. Hashtag daily soiling. <laughs> what I loved about that tweet, though, Matt, is that like, you had 150 responses from centrist dads being like, wait, shit smells sweet? What kind of fucking maniac are you? Like, wow, I never thought of that joke. Ever. My brain doesn't work. Thanks for educating me. Fertilizing my online takes field with the shit of centrists. <laughs> well, I mean, look, here's the thing. I'm, I'm, before we go into this article, because I do have the GQ article in front of me with some choice selections. Oh, hell yeah, Excellent. GQ. The only, the only magazine I read. Look, their Corbin article was very good. Gentleman's Quarterly, but why can't it come out every month? What what a gentleman to do between December and March? <laughs> Tell me, hibernate, nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 um, basically, I have this un- grand unified theory of posting, um, which is that basically when right okay, when left wing people are mad about posts, mostly what we do is spoonerize your name, like True. bait Nithea. My ex- name is weird to spoonerize, but Fine. like, but that's mostly what we do. That's our main response. Such is the spoonerism of Sean Bean, which is Bean Sean. <laughs> oh my goodness! What, what, hold yeah. on a second. What, what are you what are you suggesting? I'm suggesting that most. I'm, I'm suggesting a grand unified theory of people being mad online. When yeah. leftists that, get mad about somebody's post, they just respond like, uh, you know, they would just Zat, respond Zat Marb. They would say Zat Marb. No, 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 no. They say they, 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 they used to say Marxist Zarb communist, <laughs> and now they say. 
twats up cuntson. No, that's <laughs> the latest one. No, that, no. That's when, the centrist. When, when leftists get mad online, we tend to spoonerize your name. Yeah. When right-wing people get mad okay. online, they tend to vow to fight you, take a picture of themselves with their shirt off, and show all of the weapons that they, they own. Oh, they, 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 they angrily, and then they eventually get to the point where they angrily tweet gay porn at you and then delete their account. Correct. That and is the final step. Can we, so, so that has know, happened so, to me so, in the sorry, past. I'm doing a theory. So left, leftists spoonerize you, the right just goes insane and takes nude selfies to try to intimidate you. They take off their shirt to win an argument. The center just tries to sort of frantically call the police. They find uh. your job and try to get you fired from it. Now, Even right if literally posting is your job. The right wing will definitely call the cops on you. Like, I think most of the people who called the cops on you and Hussein were, like, definitely right-wing people and not centrist. <laughs> like, they were, like, because, like, centrist you know wouldn't have gone mad at that. Slater, literally, they called the cops on him about his, and, like, literally got the FBI involved, and he got charged with, he got charged with a felony for making a tweet. However, what we have in front of us is the Matt Kelly GQ article. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Shall I read a few bits of it before we go just get properly drunk? Yeah, please. I- <laughs> so, the article is entitled, why Corbinites are the one who sh- ones who should form a new party. Bum, bum, bum. Correct. Absolutely correct response. Because parties are sick. Spring break! <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the Corbinista is having a toga party. So, um, Matt, before we, before we drop into this, yeah. before we drop into why the Corbinites should form a new party, yeah. can you give us a quick primer on Matt Kelly? Executive well, summary, I, if you will. Do you know what, right? I don't... I've this is the first I've heard of him in terms of like is, is yeah. you know I don't fucking know who he is I thought he presented stars in their eyes I <laughs> I know he's sort of Alistair Campbell's mate uh, I think he was born in 1969 because his Twitter handle was MK1969 uh, that's basically all I know about him and look, he, he's editor of the New European yeah He's a fucking melt. He's, all, he's, he's combative online. But also, Matt, as Corbinite number one, as Corbinista number one, like number one. The, the fucking- <laughs> As the Corbin the, maestro. Like, you, you know, <laughs> Corbinissimus, uh, <laughs> to the Latin. You, you, are, you are the person who directs the online hordes. You pull the, the lanyard to the dog that has been unleashed on all the centrists. Dogs, specifically the dogs. The dogs, plural. Yeah. So when you're confronted with a melt like Matt Kelly, what's yeah. your response? I just imagine him sitting at home- you know, probably listening to Coldplay. Oh, they maybe, love rock music, uh, don't they? they? They they like the rock music, and and you know maybe shopping at John Lewis. He can uh, handle Blink One Eight Two. You know, <laughs> just living a very suburban kind of general general kind of uh, inoffensive lifestyle, and actually getting very annoyed about things that really doesn't really understand. And I think that's the main problem with centrism is they don't they don't understand they don't try and understand Corbynism. They don't try and understand what. The appeal is they just get very angry that no, people don't agree th- with them anymore. They think we've all been sexually hypnotized by an old man. <laughs> wait, you, wait. Yeah, their new thing is like magic grandpa, whatever the fuck that is. Oh, magic grandpa. <laughs> do, you, do you people not understand? I would literally support a refrigerator that had some magnets on it with the policies that I want. Well, no, but what you don't realize is, is clearly like you've just been hypnotized, and actually, if we can break you from this hypnosis, you'll support Angela Eagle like yeah. a sane person would, you'll like a normal person. That politics are a thing, anyway. So, well, in what in, in a second or two, we're all gonna we're all gonna wake from this computer simulation covered in goo and realize that we actually <laughs> love Anna Subri. 
but, but I think I think the thing that infects um, and and infects I choose my words very carefully infects Matt Kelly and the likes of Alistair Campbell and, and the Blairites is that they've, they've for twenty years they haven't had to actually tr- even attempt to win an argument. They, they when they were in government it was just the consensus. It was the uh, they had they didn't have to win arguments internally with their own party or anything like that. So I think they've forgotten how to actually formulate an argument and how to win an argument. And in the process of that, they've actually forgotten why they believe what they believe. It's just like they believe this because it is. Like there's no, there's never any. So I think Riley, you're going to get onto this beautiful uh, oh, yeah. piece of work, which is it, it's, there's no real, there's nothing there. There's no substance to it. It's just a whinge. No, I mean the, it, it's we've talked about that. It's just a, basically a whinge. Um, but for them, it, it's and this is the thing. This is why I was saying earlier with my grand unified theory of posting that centrists are the ones who call the police. It is that they are desperate to have authority maintained because homeostasis for them is everything. Wait, hang on though. We established that it isn't centrist who call the police. Centrists just go like, well, actually, centrists I think you'll will find you if you have your job listed in your profile. Whereas yeah, right wingers yeah. will literally like find your house and stake you yeah, out. They'll, they'll, they're going to find your house. They're going to throw a firebomb at you and take off their shirt. That's cool. But centrists <laughs> will at you, at you even if you no, literally centrists own your... at the Met Police. Yes. No, but centrists want to want to feel superior. <laughs> yeah. And they can't do that by actually having meaningful debates about policy. They don't have a so, policy. No, exactly. So, they, so then the only way they can feel superior is, if, is by confecting outrage and trying to take a moral high ground that isn't related to anything that's meaningful. Because so, here's, here's the fundamental question. And this is the question Matt Kelly posed in the GQ article, in fact. He said, he asks the question, this is the fundamental question of his article. If Tony Blair was never in the right party, then what was the right party? And if it's true for Tony Blair, is it also true for those of us who don't seem left enough for your, Corbyn's, new definition? Where should we all go now? Right. So if you look at (laughs) America, uh, look, the the thing, if you look at the last Labour manifesto, sorry to go on this like kind of, I mean, look, all the policies were incredibly popular with the British public. There's real centre ground now, if you're actually going to recalibrate where the centre is, is Labour, Labour policy in the last manifesto. That's that, that those policies were polling incredibly popular with the British people. So the idea that um, the centre ground is still in this kind of abstract terrain of you know 2007, 1997, 2007, it's just it's just not true anymore. Yeah, well, because the centre is only is only defined by their logic by like what views there are, and like therefore if like if we suddenly decide that like Cthulhu is a political position, like the centre moves massively. Like, well, I mean, we don't believe that we should eat the young. <laughs> And therefore, we're the centre now. So, well, that's just the issue: is that they're that's precisely is it? It's like, yeah, um, um, actually, my father was a Cthulhu man, and that was good enough for him. Okay, say what you like about Cthulhu; he respected his opponents. You know what? You know what? When you got when when the new Labour crop ran Nayarlathotep out of office, it was shameful. But but I think I think I've I've tried. Think a lot about this, right? Uh, for some reason, uh, mainly because I'm inundated in my mentions on Twitter with centrist dads, but I try and understand what their politics actually is. And I think I finally sort of have a conceptualization. Basically, it's uh, conservatism or whatever the Tories would consider palatable, um, but as much to the left as possible. 
So really, you're sort of talking like basically David Cameron. That's as far yeah. as yeah, that's ever radical go. to them. That's radical. That's like okay, we're left wing, but the Tories. We're still going to be civil with the Tories. They're not going to really like. It's not going to be antagonistic or anything like that. Well, they're not actually try and win any arguments. They're kind of happy with that, you know. That's cool. Well, that's precisely it. Is that that's the thing? Is Matt Kelly sort of derives his authority to say what Labour is from the fact that his dad was a Labour councillor in Boodle, and he says, John Landsman. <laughs> You don't own the values that define labor, nor does Jeremy Corbyn or John McDonnell or Len McCluskey, but nor for that matter does Tony Blair. Don't dare have the nerve to define labor and tell me who is in or who is out, which basically means that he thinks that actually labor is just about being yourself. He just has a lot of feelings. Look, he might not go to this school. But at the end of the day, he's also a person who no, has thoughts. This, like, oh no, Matt Kelly's whole opinion is basically the Airbud defense. There's no rules that say a dog can't play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the thing. Like, if he wants to have control of the party, if he wants his, you know, at least at least come up with something, you know. The, the only thing that this, the centrists or the Labour right or the Blairites, everyone have characterised them, have come up with is Stephen Kinnock's thing that he barfed out this week, which is a... Um, which is fascism. You know what it is? It's, so- it's, you know it is? it's socialism, but national. Yeah, it's basically... <laughs> that's what it is. It's basically fash. That's never, that's never gone wrong no, before. No, when socialism has, be, has been nationalist, that's never been a problem. Um... Socialism? Nationalize it. Wait, no, that's the only <laughs> thing you can't nationalize. Wait, 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 this wait, wait. This is the wait, one wait. thing we didn't want to happen. Because <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Kinnock's whole thing was sort of like emphasis on work and the family. Like it just had a very. It was so fascist. It was completely fascist. It's it was blue, just blue labor, innit? It was just basically like, all right, we support the worker as long as they prove their worth in society. And it's just like, mm. it just has these connotations of, I don't know, like, means testing at best and like full fucking eagle statues and people goose stepping at worst. Do you know what Matt Kelly brain genius definitely not a socialist but national uh, thinks should be the values of labor. Go on. Impartiality. What the fuck? What the hell does that even fucking mean? That's that's the value of the car. (laughs) That's that's the value of the car phone warehouse. (laughs) <laughs> Simple impartial advice Next. Never knowingly undersold AC, AC Grayling could have said that Yeah we need politics though Politics let's be impartial Let's give the capitalists what they want Yeah, I preferred so, it in the ancient world BC he says, Grayling he says, Impartiality, courage <laughs> Devotedness and broad Human sympathy Are we fucking boy scouts? I mean seriously like what? what is this? Like, Here's the thing You know what these are? These are Liberal, yeah, the, these yeah, the are attack dog whispering badge. <laughs> these are essentially liberal, feel good, process driven values. So long as we're impartial, courageous, devoted, and have more or less sympathy, anything we think of should be good. But here's the thing, Matt Kelly the Labour Party, you say that you fucking own, that your dad says that he fucking owned, all of this shit. Where you say, no, this is the Labour Party, not whatever Corbyn says. No, this is this was the fucking blip. This was the moment in the 1990s when the Labour Party was liberal. And you know what? It's fucking not. 
One of the core elements of Labor Party's constitution was collective ownership of the means of production. And that doesn't mean you're impartial. It means you're anti-fucking capitalist. But also, I mean, I'm sorry, I just need to interrupt really quickly. I'm really like, mad. No, I can tell you're mad and it's good. It, being mad is good. But I mean, I just it's just that if you look at the the history of the Labor Party in the 80s, like and the breakaway labor MPs who went on to form the uh, the Social Quisling Democratic scum. Party, Liberal Quisling Party, scum. or Quisling scum. later, the Liberal Democrats, also known as the fucking spoiler party that let fucking Thatcher stay in power for 18 years. The like free plastic, the plastic bag 5P charge party. Yeah, no, they traded like everybody's standard of living for a 5P plastic bag charge. You can't like, deny that accomplishment. Like when you look at this, it's, 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 it's to say it's that there was absolutely a moment in which they said, we don't like, you know, uh, militant tendency. In fact, we dislike militant tendency so much we would rather the Tories win and be in power than have the Labour Party be this far left. And it's like, these are people who don't belong in the Labour Party, but they were given a home under under Blair, and now they're like, but but what about my home? Like I was so happy calling myself literally defining politics, the furthest left that politics can go as liberal centrism, i.e. basically a center-right politics, and saying like, nope, everything else is fantasy. And it's like, all these people wanted, all they fucking desperately wanted was for Corbyn to lose spectacularly in 2017. And because that hasn't happened, like they're in permanent meltdown. Like, like yeah, they can't yeah. afford the amount of diapers they need to buy yeah. because they keep fucking filling them. Fucking suck it! <laughs> Hell yeah. You know what? You know what? You know what? If we had a more fair worker-owned economy, maybe you could afford the amount of diapers you need to shit yourself. Fuck you, Kenick. Imagine. Uh, uh, Riley, can you just read out those values again? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, the values I love. The values are so awesome. The values. Like, shoot them into my fucking veins. Impartiality. Yeah, go on. <laughs> courage, devotedness, and broad human sympathy. Is, 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 is it, wait, <laughs> yeah. It, no, because I... Which I, they would fucking love, because it's the only book they've read. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is, this is the logical conclusion of personality politics, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's like... Absolutely. And, and which, which, is a, which is, I think... Um, been born out of big personalities in politics but big kind of what i've seen as establishment acceptable personalities like blair and clinton and whatever reagan thatcher even you know michael howard my (laughs) um it's like what they've described there is human qualities they're not qualities of a political movement a political movement seeks to change society and the economy doesn't seek to be courageous I mean, that might be part. That might be uh, a means to the end, but that's not like what you're trying to achieve. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna set out to be courageous. Remember what AC Grayling said: "We can't have politics in politics. We just have to be nice." Yeah, because you know the Wehrmacht were courageous. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Taki. I didn't know you were here. No, but I disagree in that I'm saying their ends were bad. <laughs> <laughs> right? No. So that's the thing. It's you know what. So my answer to you, Matt Kelly, is that you're saying that. Oh, yeah, the Labour Party isn't the party of John Landsman. It's, fuck you. It's not the party of you. You're the aberration. Fuck off to the Lib Dems. Yeah, fuck off now, and not, not after the next general election. Because if you fuck off now, and, all, and take that dozen or so um, uh, cohort of the PLP, Parliamentary Labour Party, sorry for the Americans, uh, with you, then they will lose at the next election, and they won't hold a potential Labour government to ransom. So uh, we want them to fuck off ASAP, please. 
Okay, so Rinse fucking off yeah. immediately. So please. please. <laughs> so, um. Anyway, I think that's the new European. That's who they are. The new what? The new European. <laughs> anyway, they are yeah. bo- they are bootlicking fucking weirdos. By the end of this Milo, I'm going to replace you with a fish. No, the new European is essentially a bootlicking rag that is occasionally right by accident about the Tories. Their their ratio of columnist to readership is astonishing. And their editor is, to be honest, a fucking weirdo. Um, ultimately, I think the sooner they fold, the fucking better. Um, however... Ultimately, everyone who's ever purchased a copy of the New European, except for us who purchased one for this episode to make fun of it, should get the shit out of the Labour Party and just let us get on with actually building socialism and leaving you in the fucking dust. Yeah, because no one cares who you are. No one cares about these this cohort of Blairite MPs. No one's heard of you. Just you've got egos the size of a house. Go and good luck to you in your new party. All the best. Fuck off, though. Wait, I don't know. I've, I've got a bit. You got a bet. Coming this summer, who can save Chukurumana from the attack dogs of the Labour Party? In the most uplifting film of 2019, only Matt Kelly and a plucky team of Korean chefs <laughs> come to the rescue of Chukurumana. <laughs> and in the background, you've got this really morbid kind of choo-choo. <laughs> is that the... Is that the- the Deselection Express? <laughs> Starring Tom Hanks. Wait. Or in India, Otum Shank. What's that smell? Kimji. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I'm, I'm going to say, uh, once again, thank you to Ginseng for our theme song. Um, you can find it on Spotify. It's called Here We Go, all one word. It's very good. Um, I'm also going to say, uh, what's that that's cooking? It smells amazing. Is it socialism in our time? It's socialism in our time. What's it cooking on? Vremi cookware. You don't, you don't have to season a Vremi wok. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. May I think you don't. That's my genuine opinion. Um, check with Vremi. Check with Vremi before you think about any of their woks. But oh my, oh my God, are their woks incredible. And finally... Were you thinking of commodifying your descent? There's no better way to do it than a t-shirt from Lil Comrade, where you can get anything printed on a t-shirt that says Trash Future on the back. Anything. You want your son to be an avowed communist? (laughs) And at this point, we actually have a bank account, which means we actually get a cut of the shirt. Yes. Unlike the last fucking six months when we got nothing. But hey, Um, and finally, And finally, uh, to everyone on this, thank you for subscribing to our Patreon. Subscribe to our Patreon if you haven't already, which you have because you're hearing this. But tell your friends to do it, though, for example, is a thing you could do. Anyway, Matt, thank you so much for coming and Thanks, like getting Matt. drunk and yelling with Thanks us. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> That's been great. Been and great. everybody, I will see you again another time. We managed to rescue the, the Blink 182 bit. No, no. I mean, we're gonna have to find out. <laughs> are we recording now. We are recording now. Because I really, I'd be such a shame if we didn't okay. get that in there. Can we edit in us saying, "Always, I know you'll be at my show." 
Watching, waiting, commiserating. What's up? Say it ain't so. I will not work a five-day week. Automate this. The whole, point, the whole point was you were saying work sucks, I know, and then yeah. I don't she know left the me roses by the stairs. Surprises, let me know she cares. Yeah, exactly. I'm so fucking happy this is a premium episode. Did we yes, record that? We did record. <laughs> Thank fucking God. I started let's recording. I started recording as soon as I heard Matt's sonorous bass yeah. voice. I let's had to let, hear let's edit that in wherever it works.